On this episode of Her Wild Outdoors, I am joined by three women of wilderness, and they are going to talk about their organization, their passion behind it, their passion behind education, not just introducing someone to hunting, but actually educating them in the outdoors. We're going to talk a little bit about an article that came out against the R3 movement and how that has affected the way we view our introduction into the outdoors and how important it is. So listen in and enjoy and let us know what you think. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining into another Her Wild Outdoors podcast. I am very excited today because three ladies that I hold very dear to my heart have are joining us um, on this podcast. And we are going to be talking with Jess, Alex, and Sharenda from Wild Herness. And guys, thank you for joining me. Amy, thank you for having us. I'm excited. <laughs> we are too. <laughs> this is like a powwow because we were just all together. And so it's kind of like getting back together, even though it's not in person. It feels the same, though. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I'm excited, and I kind of want – I know you guys, but our listeners don't necessarily know who you are and how you first got started into the outdoors. So, Jess, would you mind starting and kind of introducing who you are and – um and what part the outdoors has in your life? Sure. Uh, I'm Jess Rice. I am the one of the co-founders and the president of Wilderness. Um, you know, my outdoor journey started very young. I was blessed with a set of nature-loving parents who had my brother and I out at any possible opportunity. My dad, you know, showed me before I could walk, really, how to turn over rocks and look for what was living underneath them and how to set the rocks back down. And, you know, just, just so that you didn't disrupt the inhabitants that, you know, were living under the rock. I mean, um, and that came with a responsibility to the earth. You know, it wasn't just, you have to enjoy, you know, go out and enjoy these things, but you do have a responsibility um, to play your role on planet earth. And that Mm -hmm. came with teaching me, you know, how to leave everything better than you found it. You know, back then, leave no trace, didn't have a name. Um, we, we called it unlitter, you know, you just yeah. left it better than you found it. And so, um, my dad was an avid outdoorsman. Um, he used to lead horseback, uh, elk hunts in Colorado. And so I, I definitely inherited that part from him. Um, and my role in hunting was very small because I had a younger brother, mm. you know, it just kind of default. My younger brother got the time in the field and the firearms bought for him and my time was regulated and I, I loved it every year. My dad and I would spend Thanksgiving morning together. That was our daddy daughter hunt. And we would go out and sit in a blind and try and, you know, shoot a deer while everybody else got ready for Thanksgiving. Mm. Um, but that wasn't enough for me. Um, I started dating a man after I finished my graduate program who was actively involved in the outdoors. And so for me, that was almost just like a, an invitation yeah. um, to be able to do that together. So I sought out experiences where I could learn the things that he had already developed into skills. 
Um, and that came in the form of, of women in the outdoors, um, which is, I'm sure you guys are all familiar, um, something that the National Wild Turkey Federation uh, puts on. Um, it's essentially their, their female initiative. Yeah. Um, I, I went to a Weedo event and that was the beginning of the end. Before I knew it, <laughs> I was coordinating other women's events and um, just really pushing women to get involved in the outdoors because it made me feel so powerful right that I wanted other people to be able to experience that I mean you can't depend on anybody but yourself and when you know you have the skills to really take care of yourself that is such an empowering and free feeling I agree. I agree. I think that not only is it empowering and freeing, it there is a there's a sense of pride behind it that you can't get from something else. It's totally different. The feeling is totally different. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, just, I, I wanted to be the person who was able to provide that for other women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it just it kind of was an organic. Thing. I met these four wonderful women or three wonderful women who share that passion. And it's so wonderful to have a group of people that really care about involving others and teaching them skills so that they don't have to depend on anybody else. Mm-hmm. I love what we have going on. <laughs> yes. Yes. And we'll get, we're going to get more into that in just a second because this is your organization has a personal impact on my life. Um, So we'll get into that in just a second, but I'm going to switch on to Alex. So Alex, give us just a little bit of a background on you. Hey, yeah. So I am Alex Mosman. I am the treasurer of wilderness. Um, I actually started hunting. I want to say like high school. Um, I was, blessed with an older brother who was super into outdoors and hunting and everything. And me being the female in the family, it just, it never seemed like my role, but I of course wanted to do everything he did. Mm -hmm. So luck, I was quite lucky because he would take me out with him and show me the ropes and show me what he was doing and involved me. So that was quite a nice experience. So then I actually went to college down in Texas and I had a few girlfriends who also liked to hunt. And so they started taking me under their wing and teaching me more things because my brother was more of like a waterfowl hunter. And so I was lucky to get on some deer hunts for the first time in college and be around other females, which is, I was quite lucky to learn from a lot of females uh, getting into hunting. Um, which is quite unusual in itself. Yeah. But, um, and then I, luckily I found my husband and it's become kind of a lifestyle for us. He's taught me so much more since um, getting married and that's just been our lifestyle. And then finding the girls of wilderness as well. Um, being able to expand the group that you enjoy the outdoors with has just been amazing. I think that that's like what you said. It's not... <laughs> In all of the women that I have interviewed, and I've interviewed over the past year and a half, close to 64 women. And in that amount of time, I have probably only talked to, it's under 10, who have had a female influence 
growing into hunting, whether um, it was as a child or in college as a young adult. Um, but it's it's changing. It's beginning to change. My daughter will have a totally different story than uh, than I had or that that you had, or it's just the numbers are going to increase with the amount of female influence in the outdoors. So that's exciting. But to be able to hear that you had women in your life as you were learning is is not a typical story that you hear. Absolutely. I, I was uh, super fortunate to have, I mean, I, my first deer hunt ever was with a female. Um, and just to be able to share that with her and we still hunt together today. And then also just finding, I think I found two other college friends that ended up, I hunted with them as well. And they were, uh, got me into dove hunting and everything. So it was, it was a wonderful experience to have them in my life and mm-hmm. to, show me what it could be, I guess. I'm actually kind of jealous. If if I'm being <laughs> honest, I'm actually kind of jealous just because I wish that that I had that growing up. I wish that I had um those experiences growing up having not started until my 30s. It I feel like there was so much time missed, but like Jess, I was <laughs> in the outdoors. I was in, um, whether it was camping or, or hiking or backpacking, all of that, I was in the outdoors and I respected nature and I knew a whole lot about animals and organisms and in our earth, but I just didn't have that extra step. So I have a little bit of jealousy toward that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I do too. It's, uh, I mean, just, Whenever you get together, like on the women's hunt we went on, yeah. it's just such an encouraging and wonderful environment to learn in, yeah. you know, because women, it, rather than compete with each other, I mean, there are, you know, there are instances when we can get competitive, but on the whole, we're re- we're ready to teach each other mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just support people on their journeys. And I, I think that's what's really unique to learning from another woman. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm definitely jealous that Alex got to do that. Yeah. Out the gate. <laughs> was really nice because my brother, for instance, like what I, he was, well, he was always asking me to go with them and was so excited that I'd go, but I wasn't necessarily always hunting because I was just a little sister and I just wanted to go. So he let me tag along and everything mm-hmm. where when I was with the other women and everything, they were proactively teaching me the steps that I needed. And it was just, it was normal too. It was like normal for me to be out there hunting with them. It was, I was just one of the others hunting, you know? Yeah. Versus an outsider coming in. A tag along kind of thing. Right. No, I think that like what you just said there, that it, I think that that's the difference and there's no there's no man hating here. There are so many men in our lives in all of our lives have had input one way or another in put, pushing us to where we are today. So don't hear that in any sense. But there is nothing like being on a drama-free, carefree, learning, educational moment with other women in hunting or fishing. And it there's you can't replace that. 
you can't. And women, women absolutely bond over those experiences. Um, And I think that that is a driver and what keeps a lot of women going, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just having that bond over shared experiences. Yep. It's true. Now, Sharinda, you're also with us and you've got a little bit of a different story. So tell us a little bit about you and how the outdoors has entered your life. So it kind of was a domino effect. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I do not come from a family background of outdoors or even firearm ownership or handling. So I completely threw my family for a loop (laughs) when they discovered on accident that I was deciding that I wanted to learn how to handle a firearm and not because I felt threatened or I felt like I was in a situation where I needed one because I kind of think that that's a big misconception Mm -hmm. surrounded by women and firearms these days. But it was just one of those when Missouri decided that it wanted to uh, become an open carry state. You know, my ideal on the the thought of it was that, huh, so it's kind of like driving. Not everybody that drives necessarily needs to have a driver's license or be driving, but you know, there are going to be more people mm-hmm. carrying that I'm aware of. And should I ever need to handle a firearm or come across one that isn't um, safely put away, I probably should need to learn how to handle one like I did driving a car. Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of how I was introduced to it. And also, I grew up as an only child. Like I have siblings now, but I mean, I'm almost 20 years older than them. So mm. I was an adult um, and I didn't really get outside and socialize much because, you know, when you grew up as an only child, you don't you kind of entertain yourself. So as a late starter, which I'm 43 now and I'm, I'm the oldest out of wilderness. And I'm like, I kind of need some hobbies to do in my retirement. <laughs> and from learning how to shoot, I discovered that I really enjoyed shotguns, even though I was horrible with using them. I didn't know what I was doing. And I just took a chance and joined a uh, sporting clay league and it just, it went downhill from there, from going <laughs> a sporting clay league to being told, hey, you should go participate in a pheasants forever, pheasant hunt. I didn't have a clue mm-hmm. what I was doing and what I was needing. And I just showed up. And I don't think a lot of, a, a lot of people don't realize, which if um, the audience is not aware, I'm also African-American. So our hunting influence is not as great as it could be because, um, and I also live in the city environment. I didn't know how to approach wanting to learn how to hunt. I didn't know the resources or just how to get started. Mm -hmm. So the first time I actually went on a group hunt is when I met the wilderness ladies. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I don't feel as intimidated Mm -hmm. with women that actually wanted to show you how to do things. But I also have a different perspective where I don't necessarily care if I ask a dumb question. Mm -hmm. I know what I know and I don't know what I don't know. And, you know, with me, with learning, I kind of tend to observe people 
a little bit to see if we interact well personality wise. And, you know, I have to be comfortable. And another thing that I enjoy about <clears throat> learning how to hunt with women. Oh, my gosh. Do we love to share information? Yes, we do. <laughs> and I mean that in a positive way. Like yeah. I had absolutely no gear. So the ladies were like, nope, don't go buy it. Try mine. Mm-hmm. See if you like it. Try ours. You don't need this. You don't need that. You do need this. This place is cheaper to get things from all those little tidbits. Yes. And then the more that I, I'm involved with wilderness, which I'm also the secretary, the more other minority women are starting to take interest, not necessarily in the hunting per se, but wanting to learn how to shoot sporting clay, which is something I'm addicted to besides waterfowl hunting, thanks to these troublemakers on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, something is as strange as, you know, most of my associations all were just aware on how to use pistols. Well, now they're venturing out and they're wanting to learn <clears throat> about shotguns and rifles. And just recently, I've had two cousins purchase a shotgun and taken lessons. And my, uh, excuse me, cousin's husband bought one as well. So I'm like, great. Now there are four of us in the family. <laughs> so I'm kind of like a bad influence now. Yeah, you're a good influence. <laughs> but you make a good point in the fact that, you know, a lot of times people see these groups as only persuading people to get into hunting and it's so far from the truth yes we would love for people to join us in hunting and learning more about it but it is more about just making um making a safe place for someone to just come in and find out more about it or find out or be educated into what it's all about so that they can be supporters or just well, shoot. I think really at the core, I mean, I, I could probably speak for all four of us that, I mean, we enjoy the natural world so much that when we're on a hunt, that's really what it's about. It's about seeing the world wake up and watching wildlife when they don't know that you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's, it's such an easy way for people who have an interest in that already to just show them how hunting really feeds into that. Right. I mean, you're a, you're a part of the ecosystem when you're out there and you're hunting, you know, it all funnels down to wildlife management and that's what we're out there to enjoy. Mm-hmm. So it's easy. I think when you get people who are interested in, you know, the non-consumptive uses, for instance, like bird watching or kayaking, um, it's not hard to get those ladies out on an event and then enjoy yourselves and be able to say, Hey, you know, you enjoy this. Let's maybe give this a try. Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, that's a good way to, to get <laughs> the next generation involved for sure. It's true. Oh, it's very true. And I mean, the hunt that we just went on all together, we didn't get one single thing. <laughs> yeah. It was such an amazing yes. day though. Yes. And I think yeah. that that it boils back down to, there are so many women looking for like-minded women to have community with. And you might not have that with someone next door to you. You might have to seek it out. And so finding a community of 
of people that think the same way that you do, who want to further their education, who want to continue learning, who might want to hunt, who might want to shoot, who might want to just be on the conservation side of it, I, it, it opens that door up. And that's kind of how wilderness has entered my life. And so I kind of want to hear about like, how did this organization begin? How did wilderness come to fruition? Uh, well, like Sharinda said, we were on this lady's doe hunt um, when we all met. And we were there to participate in a hunt. But we got to thinking, you know, there are quite a few women's organizations that offer experiences. Um, and and a lot of them come with a fairly hefty price tag. Mm -hmm. But what we wanted to really concentrate on was the, the precursor to getting there. You know, that can be really intimidating for a woman who, who might have had a little bit of experience. And she decided, you know, you know what, I want to explore this more. And I'd like to do it with other women. But man, 800 bucks for a, a, a fishing trip, that's a heck of an investment to offer something that I don't even know if I like yet. Right. Um, so we wanted to focus more on the education portion so that ladies could give things a try free to low cost to them before they made the significant gear investments. Like Sharenda was mentioning. I mean, we let her try anything that she needs and that goes for anybody. You know, if somebody wants to go try something and we have the gear, um, we offer that as a trial because essentially we want to equip them with the knowledge and skills to go out and participate in one of these other big women's events where they're, you know, investing not just money, but time mm -hmm. um, to go on a trip. So that's really, I think, kind of where we started. Yeah. But it has grown <laughs> since then because it's not just that anymore. It's not, like you said, I, I think knowing who you are and being a part of, of a couple of things that you have done, I, there's so much more than an experience, like you said, there's, but there's more than just an introduction. I feel like there is, you kind of have a full circle situation going on to where you don't just introduce people to it. You are also keeping people in it. There's continuing education. You'd come in either as a novice or as a hunter who has been hunting for a little bit and you you find a place there's it, you don't feel like it's too little for you or too much for you. It's a good balance. Well, I mean, we definitely strive for that. Um, you know, we feel like between the four of us that uh, you're going to find somebody that you identify with yeah. um, on some level, you know, and so it doesn't matter to us who you are, where you came from. If you're interested, you're our people. Mm hmm. And that's the biggest thing that we encourage, you know, women to get involved is it, we're learning too. This isn't a bunch of experts that are out here telling you how to do things. Yes. Um, you know, we're, we're always learning. I mean, and we always like to say it's something that you've probably heard uh, one of us say, if you've been out in the field with us at any point, but um, every time we go out, we learn something new mm -hmm. and, you know, that's really what it's all about. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a, it's a full circle experience for the women who, who want to stick it out for that long. I mean, there are plenty of opportunities for you to learn exactly what you want and then, you know, be on your way. And that's fine too, because we're just here to facilitate educational experiences. Yeah. 
And it's Unless- just that. It's it's the like I have been on a hunt with you guys. My daughter and I came on a doe hunt and it wasn't just here's a gun, point, shoot. Okay, yay, we'll package your meat up. There was there was learning along the way. There was, this is how you walk in. This is how you observe. This is how the whole process of beforehand. Then there was the process of finding your deer if you've got to go find it. But then there was the after part. This is the processing part, the butchering part. This is what all of these organs work as. So it it wasn't just a a shooting experience, it was an actual hunt that fully encompassed a whole hunt that they could experience. Yep. Well, it's... Go ahead, Trenda. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I, I have to say that, you know, as, as a new hunter myself, this is going into my, my second year of hunting that, you know, it's, it's, it's shocking that based off what I've learned from these ladies um, so far and what we've done, that I know this fall, if I choose to go and scout for a deer and hunt for a deer, I'm confident that mm. I can go and do this on my own. And I, I don't feel like I need a buddy to go with me. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that's the most, you know, it just dawned on me last week that you know, I can I can go do this, and I'm I'm gonna plan to go and do my first solo doe hunt this fall. So that's the takeaway mm-hmm. from us. You know, the confidence, the skill, the enjoyment, and then the excitement of knowing that you know I I can go. I actually know what I'm doing for this particular thing. Yeah, but if you got into a circumstance where you're like, okay, I don't know what to do, you have ten different people you can call. <laughs> And exactly. And that means a lot to me. The first time I butchered a deer all by myself, it went 100% wrong. It did not line up completely the way that it lined up the times that I had been following somebody else. And so I had to make that phone call. Even though I was by myself, it was a, hey, this is in the wrong spot. What do I do? And it was uh, the ability to have somebody to check in with. Even if you feel confident every now and then, it's nice to have that backup say, yeah, you're doing great. You're, you've got this. And, um, and it feels good yeah. that way. It does. And I think that that's really what women need. I mean, I, I've used this analogy a lot lately, but you know, we don't go to the bathroom by ourselves. What makes you think we're going to go out in the field by ourselves? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so like for me, I think that sense of community is really what keeps women coming back. Is mm-hmm. because they know they have that lifeline. Um, they can reach out anytime because that's really, and that's what we end all of our events with: is Hey, we're here to support you on your outdoor journey, whatever direction that may go. We're here. Reach out. Yeah. Yeah. If we don't know the answer. We'll find the answer. We'll find the person that you need to talk to, but just let us know. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we honestly mean that. Like we, we've shared our phone number. We've had people that have attended our events, reach out to us individually and ask us, you know, Hey, do you mind going to go do this with me mm-hmm. or sit out in the field with me? And, you know, sometimes it's just nice to know that you have someone that's not going to be judgmental 
irritated, has the patience and understand and just mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, well, this, this is real. They said if I needed something, call and, you know, we, we try. And if we personally can't get there, we can definitely link you up with other like men, like-minded women that would be, that would love to help in your experience. Right. Now you guys keep saying events over and over again. And I want to make sure that people hear these events that you guys put on. They're not always a hunt. They're not always a fishing trip. They're not always, um, something that you can go shoot that you have events that are purely educational too, where you can just come and put hands on things to learn from or hear from people who have the expertise to teach. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it seems a a bit short-sighted to me to only be out to harvest animals. Yeah. Um, you know, and I keep coming back to this, we're part of something greater. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, you have to understand what insects go to feed your Turkey as their primary source of food when they're pulps, or you have to understand, um, exactly, you know, what role for, for instance, bees play Mm -hmm. in the food that you consume. I mean, we are part of something so much larger and for us to limit our knowledge only to species that can be hunted is, is silly. And think of, I mean, there's just so much that you're missing out on that way. And so, I mean, really we're, we're on a quest to help create what we consider the complete sportswoman. And that is somebody who not only knows the biology of the game she's after, she knows the laws, the rules, the regulations, how those even come to be, you know, the rules that you have to abide by. Um, you know, she knows, she knows more than just squeezing a trigger. Mm -hmm. So we do offer lots of events, um, kind of that run the whole gamut of the outdoors. Um, recently we did a beginner beekeeping class. Um, we are doing an intro to taxidermy coming up soon. So cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think and that everybody should are- know that anyways, if they are hunting, I think that if you are ever going to have anything mounted or go to a taxidermist, even if you're not going to do it yourself, that class is pivotal in knowing how to take care of what you have before you even get there. Well, yeah. And then just to understand exactly how much work goes into it. Yes. So when you get that, that bill for the tax year, you understand. It's why. respected. Yes. 100%. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, we do just a little bit of everything and I, that's, you know, kind of why we, we maintain that diversity to reach a wide audience because, you know, it's easy. Women are pretty coercive, you know, yeah. Once we're together, it's easy to convince um, other ladies that, hey, let's give this a try together. Mm -hmm. You know, this will be an adventure we can go on. Yes. And you guys recently received a grant, right? Yeah. Yeah, We're excited about that one. (laughs) I was excited for you. Tell Tell us what this grant is going to mean to you. Well, the grant is going to give us the funds to reach a, a very wide audience. So the grant is the Vamos a Pescar uh, Education Fund. Um, it comes from the Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation in collaboration with local fish and wildlife agencies. Um, and essentially it aims at getting family units involved in fishing, mm-hmm. um, particularly those of the urban Hispanic demographic. Um 
that being said, we are really excited about having the funds to, we're not just going to teach these people how to fish. We're going to set them up to become anglers. Um, With the completion of the series of events, each participant will get a rod and reel combo, a fishing license if they're of age to need one. Each family will get a tackle box and a park permit to go to all of the Kansas State Parks. In addition to a personal floating flotation device, everybody gets a PFD and a sweet wilderness t-shirt. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah. But, I mean, it's not just, we don't want to stop at hooking them. (laughs) Pardon the pun. Yeah. (laughs) But you want to take it further. Yes. We want to invest in their future. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to set it up for the long term. And that's... I mean, essentially why we started with the skill building organization is we're in this for the long term. We want not only to give these ladies a taste, but we want to equip them so that they can do this for the long term. Yeah. And I think that there's there's a there's a place for everything out there. There's a place for one time excursions that gets you excited about it. But I think and I think I posted this today there there are lack of teachers in the female outdoorsman area. Like there, there are lack of teachers. And I think that we can all hunt. We can all go on a hunt together. But when do you take that step into teaching? And I think that there's a fear that comes from, I don't have the experience. How can I be a teacher? Sharinda, you are a new hunter out of all four of us talking, yet you were a part of my daughter having a hunting experience and learning through that whole process. And so I think that one, if if anybody could take anything away from this other than what we have talked about already, but one major part is you do not have to be an expert to walk along somebody and be a part of their life in the outdoors. It, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all of the answers. You just have to be willing to share and teach what you do know and be willing to learn alongside of them, right? Yes, I totally agree with you 100% on everything you just said. And it, <laughs> you know, and it's amazing that, you know, you bring up our hunt experience together. <laughs> I was actually um, doing my mentor orientation where I really wanted to sit back and observe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as someone that's new to hunting or especially if parents are there in the blind and the guide is there in the blind, like what are some things that I probably need to anticipate? Mm-hmm. You know, what extra should I have? Um, what do we need to do in the moment? So it was like, you know, Ava and myself, we partnered up and we're learning <laughs> together with you guys. And it was just it was amazing watching your excitement build up and you know, watching the determination mm-hmm. and the patience mm-hmm. of someone so young, making sure that she could do an ethical shot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm not even a parent. And I feel proud of this young lady right Aww. now. She's so 
stood ready for 20 minutes. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Not even shaking, mm-hmm. watching her her target. And I was like, this, this is, it was an amazing experience for me. And I took a lot away from both of you guys. As you sat there watching me shake like a leaf. <laughs> oh, I still, I still have that on video for you guys. <laughs> it was quite the experience. And it, but it is one of those that... You know, I can learn something once and then I can do it once, but it is my responsibility to then teach it. And I take away from teaching something that I didn't learn in those other two experiences of it. And you really can't get to there without teaching. Indeed. You know, I think it really, you know, when you're talking about not having, you feel like you don't have enough experience. Like I'm, I haven't done this enough to, to teach somebody else, but I think really what people are looking for in a mentor is somebody who's not afraid to say, Hey, I don't know. Let's figure it out together. Right. And uh, you know, I, I, I don't ever want anybody to feel like they haven't done something enough because you always have something to share. And, you know, I've quoted you a million times, Amy, but you said something to me on that hunt with Ava that, really stuck with me. And it was what good is it? What good is knowledge if it's not shared? Mm -hmm. And that's just how we operate now. I mean, essentially that's what we want to do is what we know is what we know and we want to share it. And I guarantee we'll all learn something in the process. Yeah. I think that somebody shared with me one time, I had been hunting for maybe six years And I kept self-doubting myself. I kept, if I was talking to somebody, I'd say, well, I don't have the most experience. And that person said to me, stop saying that. Stop self-doubting. Stop putting yourself down because there is always going to be somebody behind you. Always. There's always going to be somebody ahead of you, but there's always going to be somebody behind you. And so with you self-doubting yourself, in the confidence that you should have in what you have done so far, they are going to then self-doubt themselves. And so you are going to create this, this trigger for each person behind you of self-doubt. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know, let's figure it out like what you said. I don't know, let's figure yeah. it out. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but taking a step back and saying, I'm not qualified for that or... I might not be the best person. That's when you're not being bold. You're not you're yep. not taking what you do know and pushing it forward. And that that yeah. doesn't do anybody any good. You're right. You're right. I mean, and I've been deer hunting for, I don't know, 20 years at this point. And on that hunt, I was mentoring another young girl and I encouraged her to take a shot and she made a great shot. She connected and dropped this deer we walk up to it and we realize that we're on a doe hunt and it's a button buck. Mm-hmm. You make mistakes yeah. and you make them in front of the people you're mentoring. And can you imagine that's going to stick with her forever? She felt so guilty. And I looked at her and I said, Hey, I encourage you to take that shot. These are the kind of mistakes that happen to seasoned hunters. Yes. You just yeah. have to realize that the deer that you took was legal. It's yep. going to provide food for your family. And <clears throat> that's bottom line. Yep. Yep. You put him down quick and he didn't suffer. Mm-hmm. So you made it ethical, clean kill, and now you've got food on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, 
not being afraid to, to make those mistakes, I think is also a really important part of being a mentor. Yes. Because in, in honesty, my kids have heard me say, I'm sorry. I don't know how many times. Um, but if they don't hear me say that, if they don't hear me say, Hey, I made a mistake, this is how you fix it. Or this is how you respond to it. Then they don't learn that. They don't learn how to then respond when they make a mistake. And if we all lead these perfect Instagram lives, even in person, and, and I don't, there's no learning that comes from that. There's just the accolades and the, the pat on the back, but there's also no chance taken. There's no getting outside of your comfort zone. And I'm not talking about illegal activity. I'm talking about pushing yourself into a situation that you didn't think you could do and you might fail at it, but at least you're going to fail with somebody beside you walking alongside of you with you. And you're going to learn from that mistake and you're going to take a step back and you're going to then take four steps forward because of how much you learned from it. And that's where authenticity develops. Yes. And we need more of it. We do because there is, there is a, a lot of, you know, Instagram hunters that are out there that, Mm -hmm. um, do things a little bit differently, um, you know, because their, their motivations are likes and not, not real experiences and Mm -hmm. real skill building. Yeah. Um, and that's a whole nother topic. I'm sure we can discuss that on another podcast. (laughs) We can tackle that um, in a whole nother session. (laughs) Yeah. On social media, I wish that a lot of the season hunters would be more open to, their their non-success stories yeah you know that that would make it seem more realistic just from a new hunter's perspective like for me knowing like I'm to the point now where if I can go out and sit in the blind or sit on the edge of a dock and come home empty-handed I'm okay with that because there is no 100% guarantee that every time I go out and do something, I'm going to be successful. Oh, heck no. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. It happens. And it's nothing to be ashamed of just knowing that you took the effort and the steps to go out there and do it. Yeah. I think is what's important. I agree. I definitely agree. I do too. Yeah. Now your whole, so So I'm going to take us into a topic (laughs) that we're going to tackle really quick. And it is, so let's take this back to the late 80s, okay? We started seeing hunting numbers kind of drop a little bit, kind of late 80s, early 90s, um, up into the 2000s. The hunting numbers started decreasing. And so right around those times, we started noticing that we needed to have um, educational events, whether it was through like what you said, Jess, with uh, women in the outdoors, we started seeing more women getting involved and um, youth hunters and having these hunter education classes and having tighter restrictions and licenses. And, you know, all of these things started changing. But um, we started noticing that 
No, we do need. I hate using the word recruit because I think it's like a job recruiting. Like we need anyways. Like a cult recruiting. But it was we needed to introduce people. We needed to say, hey, come join us. We needed to be inclusive and to um, to anybody who is interested and start educating. But also one of the bigger things, especially with women in the outdoors, is the retainment part. Because you do have all of these organizations right now showing, uh, you know, a one-time event. Come join us for this one-time event. Pay a buku amount of money for one-time events. And they're fun and they're exciting and they get you excited about it. But then what do you do? And so we have to make sure that we are, with new hunters especially, like what you guys are doing, educate further and and make available these these retainment situations where if they want to continue on they can keep learning not necessarily with another hunt but with these classes to keep learning and taking all of this in we're also pulling other hunters in who might not have been hunting for a while and so this all kind of started in the late 90s early 2000s and um and especially from about 2010 to now. Now, all of a sudden, and this has been a, a topic that has been out that all four of us have talked about, but there was an article by Matt Ranella that came out actually a couple of years ago, but Meat Eater decided to put it out on their platform just recently. And it is an article, The Case Against Hunter Recruitment. Ah, yes, that article. Yeah. That article. Now, can I be 100% honest? When I read that article, I had never heard of, and I'm putting it in quotes, the R3 movement. I had never heard it labeled that way. I had only heard of the value behind it, not a label. Um, and I think that that was mainly in the wildlife community, the the resources community, the governmental side, and that there uh-huh. was a label because there had to be a label for funds to go to if that was what they were doing. Yep. So, sure. so the synopsis of it was, and I'm just going to put this is my opinion. Everybody who's listening, totally my opinion. But you are coming from a community and a platform that has been teaching where to hunt, how to hunt, how to cook, survival, how to be in the outdoors, lots of money, lots of books being bought, lots of support, lots of like all of this to this platform. And yet all of a sudden we're hearing there are too many hunters out there we don't support this R3 movement, this recruiting movement we don't support because I don't want to go out to my favorite public land spot and somebody else be in my spot. I mean, that's well, that's pretty much the synopsis of it, right? That's... Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's disappointing to hear yes. that and and you know I found it very disturbing to hear and read my on public land mm-hmm. don't own that public land you're not entitled to have a spot 
it's first come, first serve. You got to work for it. Yeah. You do. And to have that kind of mind frame about it, I thought was very disappointing, very disencouraging. Mm -hmm. And extremely selfish. Extremely selfish. I mean, extremely selfish. Yeah. The thing is, is that, I mean, you know, I come from the government side. So the R3 term is, is kind of just a back pocket term for me. It's very common. Um, but part of that is the fact that every license sold goes into a fund called the Pittman Robertson Fund. Yes. Um, we, yes. as hunters, as a group, back in the 1930s, we realized that conservation of wild places, wild spaces, and the, the animals that we wanted to hunt was only going to happen if we imposed a tax on ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's where that whole excise tax with ammo and archery and gun products, yada, yada, and license sales comes from. Mm-hmm. So to me, saying you shouldn't contribute to these various license sales <laughs> means that you're not going to have places to go. It's going to get worse right. for you as a hunter. If you're encouraging people to not participate, right. it's going to get worse. You're not going to have places to go. You're not going to have habitat to support the animals you want to chase. And for me, that that's really what it boils down to Mm -hmm. is you're essentially killing what you love by putting this opinion out. Yeah. Well, I just took it back to even further than that. Like you said, the self, the selfishness of it. And it, it was mainly, and if I can just be honest, it was just very hypocritical. And, and I think that if you coming from a platform that does not hunt public land only. We we all know for a fact it's all over their show and podcast that they hunt private as well. Um, but if you hunt public land, no matter if you're a resident or non-resident, you have bought a license or a tag has been drawn and paid for to be there. You have a right to be there. Whether... Yep. No matter your circumstance, if you are legally holding a tag to be on a piece of property, then you are entitled to be there. You have the right to be there. And if you get there and somebody is there before you, then you didn't get up early enough. Exactly. They got there. Amen, sister. They got there. They put the work in and you should tap your hat to them and say, well, I guess I'm getting up earlier tomorrow and I will be in that spot first. And that's just how it is on public land. Now, our private land has diminished in certain in in um, in certain states. Right. You've got I mean, the majority of West Tennessee. So I'm from Tennessee. So the majority of West Tennessee is privately owned. There's not a whole lot of public land. And there's a lot of outcry right now. Well, so much is private and nobody's letting anybody hunt private land. Well, that's bull crap. You have to put the work in to hunt private land. You have to ask. You can't just ask without offering services, whether it's payment or hard labor. You have to earn your spot there. So yep. 
People aren't asking. They're afraid to ask. They're afraid to get a no. And if they do get a no, then they're afraid to ask again to somebody else because they're afraid to get a no. Well, dadgummit, go ask 15, 20, 30 different landowners. And I promise you, if you are offering money or hard labor, you're going to hit a yes at some point. You just have to put the work in. Yeah. Yep. Alex has a pretty, pretty similar situation to that where they hunt um, in Wichita, right, Alex? Yeah. So we actually um, get to goose hunt some properties and everything. So we, uh, we've spent a whole day out cutting down trees with a farmer and Mm -hmm. doing some hard labor with him just to keep, stay on good graces. And he's welcome. He allows us to go out and hunt. Um, but we make sure to tell him whenever he needs something, please let us know. And mm-hmm. we'll wrangle up as many people as we can and we'll be out there. Um, but you got to stay on good graces. Make sure you're not messing up their property and doing what they'd like you to do. Yeah. You're, we, we hunt half and half. We hunt half public and half private. And the private land that we do hunt on, it is we are out there working on it. We are also looking out for trespassers. We are their eyes and ears when they're not there. And so it is not just the sweat and the blood and the muscle aches and the hard work that goes in in the off season. It is, it is still that responsibility that I'm going to treat that land as if it were my own. Mm -hmm. And that's how you earn the respect of landowners, because there are a lot of people out there that don't do that. Indeed. You know, and I think that it just there's a lot of take that's involved Mm -hmm. um, with hunters, you know, on the whole. Um, And that's something that we've tried to really focus on um, is the giving back portion. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it does require a village to pull off free to low cost educational events for women. Um, so it's, you know, our belief that going out and doing service projects, you know, it's not just to earn our right to hunt or to, you know, use their land for X, Y, or Z, but those experiences also in turn make us better sportswomen because we're out and we're, we're removing, we're learning how to use power tools, which is awesome to begin with, but (laughs) (laughs) we're removing woody components. We're, we're studying the habitat and Mm -hmm. you learn something new biologically or ecologically every time that you're out. And so, you know, giving back to your community is so important. You can't create community without being a part of the community that you're in. That is so so true. We do a lot in terms of service. Um, Coming up on May 8th, we are partnering with um, Friends of the Caw River to do a Caw River cleanup and a native pollinator planting. Oh, that's awesome. um, Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, that right there, you know, you're going to learn about the kind of pollinators that are in the area, the kind of plants they need, the kind of soil that those plants need to survive. Plus, we're going to be cleaning up, you know, our local riverfront area. And that's important. It is because that in turn is going to make habitat flourish. It's going to create a situation where you, you have more coming in and utilizing versus flying right over or moving right through. It's, it's like, you know, we put in rain gardens in our community because they were lacking the natural habitat that used to be there because of progress, because of humanity coming in and touching something and not 
replacing the areas then with natural growth. And so when that happened, you started seeing more just ecology changing. Like it, it was the biology just from plants growing, it in, invited more bees, invited more pollinators, invited more. I mean, we had otters coming through that we had not seen in forever. So you just start wow. seeing things change by one simple act. And you're going to then create situations where deer are going to be passing through. And you're going to, but these are all things that we can easily do in a weekend. Absolutely. And it creates a little bit of ownership. You oh, know, yeah. you can, we'll be able to forever say, Hey, we help clean up that stretch of the river, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that just makes you feel a part of something bigger than you. Yeah. It's not just the money that we put in with our license and our taxes and things like that, that create public land owners. And I hate every single person on, in my neighborhood that pays taxes is a public land owner, whether they hunt or not, or fish or not. And so it is how much you put into it. Do you get out on those properties and, and help flourish them so that then you can take from it. If you don't put into it, you're not going to receive from it. Absolutely. Yeah. I believe that a hundred percent. Well, I, and I'm I'm only going to touch it one more time. I, going back to that article, I think that the big thing that I don't want to say affected me, but made me a little defensive, if I'm honest, is the fact that in the past 10 years, the growth of women in the outdoors has been exponential, right? Yes. Um, Definitely. So technically, any female outdoors group out there is an R3 movement. Yep. And so, and I don't, Want, I want to tread this very, very lightly because I don't want people to hear discrimination or hear anything, but hearing that there doesn't need to be recruitment or there doesn't need to be funding going toward recruitment, it hurts me as an individual being a 33-year-old woman when I came into hunting because I didn't, like Sharinda, I didn't have family that introduced me to hunting. My husband did later in life when he started back hunting, but he again was a part of that, um, uh, the reactivation part of it. So it we both as a family were a part of the R3 movement. And so I take it personally that that people do not believe that it's necessary. Because I do think that it's necessary. I think that a lot of people think, well, it's just for the numbers. It's just for upping hunting numbers so that you have the votes. So that you, it has nothing to do that with that for me. It has everything to do with community for me. It has everything to do with finding women like you, finding women close to me or even further away that I can have this relationship with so that I can myself grow right in the outdoors. And so take numbers away completely and make it relational and make it about how we are then going to push forward tradition 
how we're going to push forward, not just the hunting and fishing side of it, but the education into our environment, into nature part of it. And I think that yeah. without that, I you're, it's, it's going to fall apart. I think you're yes, going to lose that relational part of it. And it's just going to be numbers, which is what they're saying that it's all about. And I, I, I beg to differ. Yeah. And I mean, as a, as a white woman that affected you profoundly, can you imagine how alienating that felt to people of color that yeah. are trying to get involved in the outdoors? Yeah. They're basically already, you're, you're not welcome here because of the color of your skin, but also because there's too many of us already. Okay. Yeah. So it just, that's, it's not okay. I mean, it was a very, um, Div- divisive article mm-hmm. um, that I would <laughs> just like to say that I don't agree with any part of. <laughs> so. I, I, I think that we are all in agreement on that. And I think that um, <laughs> if, like we said earlier, if you take it down to the bare bones of it, it was a selfish, hypocritical article. Yeah. Um, I think what the takeaway, I don't think what a lot of people that may feel the way that he did when he wrote that article, was let's look at the past year, for example, when cities were put in quarantine and things were shut down, the first thing that people did was go to the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Amen. So yes. if you didn't have organizations or individuals such as ourselves, that would be available to educate and introduce people how to um, safely mm-hmm. and lawfully mm-hmm. and learn and lawfully how to navigate the outdoors and venture into areas such as, for example, hunting that they've never done before. Think of that flood of people that would place you in an environment that weren't safe because you want to eliminate these type of programs. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. Yeah. It's about putting true, authentic, real, safe outdoorsmen out into our world. Absolutely. That's it. That's it. No matter who you are. You don't have to worry about overcrowding. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If you're following the rules, yes. Yeah, I need you to be the solution. I don't need you to add to the problem. Yeah. Amen. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So. So that is what that wilderness has been that shining little beacon of light because I feel like, and I, I, I can't shout y'all from the heavens even louder, but it's, um, (laughs) it's the full encompassing environment that you put people into, that you put women into and girls. Um, the hunt that we went on with Ava was, it was for girls under 18. Like you were talking to youth and you were introducing them to each other so now they have a community i know that my daughter and alex your niece still communicate to this day and they go back and forth and they talk about different things and it's because of this one time that they got together as youngsters as youth 
and we're able to connect over something familiar. And that's because we all crave relationship with those that are like-minded. And I don't know, it's refreshing. It's refreshing to know that I know my kid would be safe with you guys. And I know that she wouldn't just be going for an experience. She would be learning. And, uh, and I think that that's anybody who comes into any event that you guys have. You're not just going for an experience. You are actually going to walk away with skills that you can carry on and utilize for the rest of your life. Yep. Thank you, Amy. You're welcome. Yes. <laughs> we, um, we couldn't do it though without supporters like you. I mean, it's, it's one thing to have a passion, but to see it realized in somebody else's child. I mean, like Sharinda said, you know, it's, it, you could see the pride all over you, but we all left changed people from, being able to be part of that experience Mm -hmm. where your daughter and a bunch of other young girls got to learn something new and realize that there are other people their own age that like to do that stuff too. Yeah. And walk away with confidence, confidence enough that she came back and was not hesitant to talk about it at school, that she wasn't hesitant to talk about it in front of a community that isn't necessarily a hunting community, but, but the way that you guys introduced it, she was then able to introduce it and talk about it in a way that didn't discourage people from being supportive of hunters, even if they didn't hunt, that they could still support her without being a hunter. And and I think that that was something that she, she learned from and will be able to apply to any situation. Mm. That is very humbling. So thank you for saying that. You're welcome. You're welcome. I think communication is the key. And I think we're all like, I'm not necessarily out here to say that every single person who listens to the podcast or every single person who comes across my social media page or my web page or anything like that or comes across me that they need to be hunters because that there's no need for everybody to be a hunter. It'd be fun if everybody was, but there's no need for it, but you don't have to hunt in order to support a hunter. And that is absolutely yep. true. I I couldn't agree with you any more than I ever have about anything now. <laughs> <laughs> but communication is is key in that. It, it is the way that you communicate with a non-hunter that can either push them into anti-hunting or supporting a hunter. And oh my um, gosh, yes. And so I think that 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 was. That was something that she walked away from that I was appreciative of. So Sharinda and I are taking a, um, it's a webinar series right now um, presented by the NRA. And it's essentially how to talk to people, non-hunters about hunting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of the way they break it down when you talk about, you know, your personal motivations for hunting. Um, a lot of people fall back on, well, I provide food for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah, it's part of population management because, mm-hmm. you know, if we let the deer get too numerous, then we're going to be hitting them with their cars. And that's a heck of a lot worse of a way to go than a single bullet. And then they're dead, mm-hmm. you know? So it's been really, really interesting to see which of those motivations. I mean, there's a whole laundry list of them yeah. that are socially acceptable to non-hunters mm-hmm. and, 
So I, I think that that is another thing that wilderness is really proud of is the fact that we on our own time, continue our education at the su- on the subject matter of yes. educate, uh, educating others. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, that NRA, and it, it, it's just been illuminating. I would love to send you the book. Yeah, please do. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think that everybody can take a lesson in that, in the way to communicate. Um, because let's be honest, people who look at our stuff who are hunters, they look at it and it's like, yay, support, <laughs> like, comment, whatever. But those who look at it as non-hunters or anti-hunters looking in, those are the ones that you can make or break. So, exactly. um, so. And I think that that is just an additional responsibility of the hunter. Yes. Um, we can't just continue plowing on in our traditional manner without yeah. trying to educate those who don't know about our lifestyle. Right. I mean, you know, it's just such an easy thing to, to say, oh, hunters are just killers, but we're not. Yeah. Not all of us are that way. Mm-mm. Most of us are not that way. I mean, it's something like 90 something percent of, of hunters cite those two reasons that I just mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. um, ecological benefits and, you know, putting food on the table mm-hmm. as their main reasons for hunting. It's not because I got to shoot something in the face. Right. Right. Yeah. I think who was it? I was listening to a blood origins, um, podcast the other day with Hunt Domain. And he said, we have to constantly be able to censor ourselves. It's not the Facebook censorship. It's not the Instagram censorship. It's the ability to look at what we are doing and censor ourselves because of how it's going to portray what it's going to say. There are going to be pictures that you take that, that, you know, take worth of your hunt, but aren't necessarily worthy of putting out in public. And so that's our responsibility. It is. It is. And it's not just one of those things where we can be like, well, if you don't like it, don't look. Mm -mm. That doesn't help anybody, especially as hunters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what I, my takeaway was when I, when I first started, you know, I didn't think much about the picture I posted. I was just so excited to have a successful harvest that you know, I didn't think and you know I've left those pictures up there so you can see how I've grown as a hunter but mm-hmm. now I'm more mindful about it like next time if I harvest a deer I'm going to post a picture how respectfully it should look so it's mm-hmm. not frowned upon or next time I, I get some waterfowl you know maybe don't hold it up by the neck <laughs> like it's a rubber chicken you know, those are things that I've learned along the way, but no one until recently, no one had in the past had ever shared that information with me until I went on my second deer hunt and my mentor, you know, we had a discussion and I was like, you know, I never thought of it mm-hmm. like that because we had a discussion, mm-hmm. not a judgment and not an argument. Just a conversation. Yeah. Just a conversation. And, that and it was shows, something that stuck with me. Yeah. It shows pride in your hunt. It's not, it, it shows the time that you take to to appreciate everything that has come to that fruition. And so taking the time to to clean up what you were hunting, to clean the blood off, to to put the species that you have hunted into a position that 
isn't disrespectful to the life that you just took. Like those are all of the things that we need to be thinking about. And so um, that also is it's communication. It all goes back to communication, communication, authenticity and respect. Yeah, absolutely. Those are the those are the tools that are going to um, make us more approachable as a group. And I think that that's something we struggle with. But I think that struggle is good, right? It's a good struggle. It's a good struggle to learn and to take a step back for a moment and say, okay, what are my choices right now? And how is it going to be received? And, and yep. I think that that's a good struggle. It's something that we should work through. And it's a it's something that we as hunters and outdoors women that we are going to continue to work through. So it's good. Indeed. Yes, yeah. we are. We won't give up. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> well, y'all keep doing what you're doing because you're doing it well. And I'm well, thank you. stinking proud of you. And um, I can't wait to get back together with you guys it's too long yeah, <laughs> it is. yes we need I'm, we need to see miss ava too yes we do. i need to get another recipe from her <laughs> she i told her that we were talking i told her we were talking this afternoon with each other and she went i can't wait to listen to this one <laughs> well just tell her we talk her the whole time I will I will (laughs) well thank you ladies I don't want to keep you much more and um we will have to do this again and I love you all we love you you hey tell everybody real quick how they can find wilderness wilderness sorry (laughs) for it um, our website is wildherness.org, and that's spelled W-I-L-D-H-E-R-N-E-S-S dot org. Our Facebook page is also Wildherness. Mm-hmm. And our Instagram, and just correct me if I'm wrong, it's underscore wilderness underscore. Is that correct? You got it. Okay, there it is. Perfect. You can go to our website and sign up for um, notifications. We will only email you when we have a new event posted so you won't get spammed. And then you'll also get our quarterly newsletter that lets you know what we've been up to and what we've got in store. Yeah, and you guys are mainly based out of Kansas. Um, But... Like I've been involved from Tennessee. You've had a lot of people from Missouri, from all over. So it's, you're not, even though you're based out of Kansas, your reach has gone much further than that state. Absolutely. It's kind of fun. We've done a lot of uh, virtual classes and that has really given us the opportunity to expand our reach. And, you know, Alex can vouch for this because she manages um, all of the shipping of our merchandise, which you can also get at our website, Mm -hmm. wilderness.org. She sends those out and it's so neat to see where it goes. You Mm -hmm. know, we, we ship things to like Oregon and New Jersey and Minnesota and Texas. We actually sent something um, overseas recently to Spain. Mm-hmm. So we need to make a map of all the locations that we've reached. Just that's to look awesome. at it for fun. That's awesome. Cool. <laughs> it's fun to really see. COVID to thank. You know, like Sharenda said, that's really the um, the 
the best thing about COVID is that people returned to outdoor recreation in droves. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, we kind of hit the ground running at a really opportune time to affect a lot of people. And that's what it's all about anyway. So I agree. I definitely agree. Well, thank you ladies for, for joining thank me. You, Amy. <laughs> 